Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 5. And we're seeing the early chapters in the book of Numbers of there's preparation of Israel to begin her journey. Uh, it starts in chapter 10, uh, all the build up to uh, uh, begin their journey. It, it starts in chapter 10 and we're seeing this um, precursory events as preparation. But then at the same time, you see, when I say in preparation, you see like um, in the previous chapters, it for moving, collecting the material, I mean, the, the, uh, uh, the Levitical camp, the, the camp of the Levites, they're in charge of breaking down the tabernacle and how to package it, how to store it, how to move it. Uh, but then now we're looking at elements of carnality, elements of the flesh that arise in the camp of Israel. And what I think is so beautiful is to remember to reflect back on the blueprints that we studied in the book of Exodus, what the Lord was giving to Moses when he was on the mountain in the cloud, him, his intimacy that he had with the Lord. You know, always remember that because when the Lord was giving blueprints, Moses had no idea what was happening. I mean, he kind of had a thought, okay, well, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But, you know, the Lord knew it all. The Lord knew everything that he knew about the golden calf. He knew what was going to happen. He knew, And as he's giving these blueprints to Moses, at the same time, he's also preparing Moses. Let that resonate inside of your heart, inside of your soul, because that's what the Lord does with us. We read his word. We study his word. We have intimacy with him. We're praying unto him. And we read his word more and more. We gain all this knowledge. And it's not knowledge for the sake of having knowledge. Because those who know, know in part. We only know in part. First Corinthians chapter 13. But then, you know, to always remember that as we gain this knowledge, it's not just knowledge for knowledge, but it's the equipping. For what? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But to have this equipping... And then you don't know what's going to happen in a day-to-day -day situation. You have no idea what's going to happen. But what's so beautiful is that the Lord is equipping you and he's preparing you for things that he knows that's going to happen. And he's preparing you. Just like he did with Moses. Just like he did with Joshua and is doing with Joshua, which we're going to get to the book of Joshua pretty soon. And this whole time you see preparation. Yes, there's some terrible things that happen in the camp. Yes, there's some terrible things moving forward in the future chapters and future books. Terrible, terrible things. And we're going to understand why the Lord does what he does. Because remember, he's reactionary. But then at the same time, there are elements within the camp, elements within Israel that are prepared for the times. And these are the ones who have, you know, referred to as a remnant. These are also the ones who have been faithful. Let it ring true inside of us. As a remnant according to grace. Let it ring true inside of you and inside of me. Because, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, wow, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know why we're here, why we're studying this, why we're harping on this. Why, you know, why am I listening to this pastor? And he's harping about this and this. And man, he was harping about it two years ago. He was harping about it a year ago. He was harping about it eight months ago. He was harping about it six months ago. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have a coworker going through some issues. Like, wow, you know. 
you know, how the Lord has prepared us as we study his word. We, we study his word corporately as a church body. But then what about your own private studies? And sometimes the Holy Spirit hones on certain topics, certain subject matter. And he'll direct you. You don't know why. But then, you know, something happens where it's like, okay, now I know why. Preparation. Put yourself in Moses' shoes or his sandals. Put yourself in Aaron's sandals. And remember Aaron's fall that he had. We studied that a couple weeks ago. Remember Aaron's fall. Not to harp on his past, but look at what the Lord has done inside of him. And so now in chapter 5 of the book of Numbers, verse 1, we read on. And remember, this is all preparation for this great movement. And a great movement where in Exodus 33, the Lord says, okay, you know, you guys go. You guys are stiff-necked and hard heart. You know, you guys are stiff-necked people. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. So Moses, you take your people to the promised land, go this direction. And you know what? I'll see you there. I'll meet you there. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but read Exodus 33. That's exactly what happens. You guys are stiff-necked, and if I go with you, I'm going to kill you guys. That's what the Lord says to, to Moses. If I go with you guys, I'm going to kill you guys because you're stiff-necked people. And then you see Moses intercede, a type of Christ making intercession unto the Lord. Just like the Lord does, Jesus Christ does with you and me today. A mediator. Remember in... Uh, I'm going to turn here really quick, but in the book of Job, I want to say chapter 9. Here we are in Job 9, uh, verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, and that we should go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. This is Job saying this. There's no mediator. Because what was known to Job? There is, nor is there any mediator between us. And you know what's so beautiful? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. A people of the new covenant for you and me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about our walk with him, our journeys with him. And so as we read here in Numbers uh, uh, chapter 5, we go back to Numbers and then, you know, look at verse 1. All these things that we have and you see Israel, we're going to understand exactly why the Lord does what he does in future, in future, in future chapters in the book of Numbers, in future books. But then who are the people that make their choice? Remember Joshua? As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Who is it in the camp of Christ who says that? As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Yes, the world is getting darker. Yes, culture is getting more wicked. But who are the ones who will take their stake and stab it in the ground and say, As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I mean, who cares what goes on in the world? I mean, I care for the world uh, from, you know, like uh, from a fish perspective. But I also care from the church. I care for the church from a uh, sheep perspective. You know, when I think, you know, make that distinction between the world and the church. 
One are sheep, one are the flock of the Lord, and the other are fish. You know, to, to gain them, to win them from Christ. To win their souls for Jesus Christ, for His glory. Not a competition. Not, okay, you know, you brought, you know, uh, 10 people to the Lord, I'm going to do 20. You brought 20, I'm going to do 50. You know, it's not a competition like that. Because angels rejoice over one sinner who comes to Christ. One sinner who repents. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, the book of Numbers, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp. This is what's happening here. The Lord is going to address this uncleanness. Remember in our study in Leviticus, how certain conditions, certain sins were identified, but then not just identified, but then what to do. When the Lord told Moses, okay, Moses, tell Aaron to do this. Moses, tell the priest to do this. Moses, this is what you have to do. When these sin pop, these types of sin pop up, not if, when, Moses, this is what you must do. That's Leviticus. But even in Leviticus, hearken back to the mountain, the cloud, the Lord and Moses. Everything he was being prepared. He was being prepared. That's what I think is so beautiful. Sometimes, you know, pastors, you know, they talk among this, amongst themselves, you know. Oh, what is your vision for the church? What is your five-year plan for the church? What is your ten? What is your long term? What are your long-term goals for the church? I mean, I don't mean to sound uh, lax in saying this, but with a sincere heart, I can say I don't know. <laughs> you know, to further equip, to further teach, and beyond that scope, that's not my call. I'm not the head pastor of the church. Jesus Christ is. He does with his people what he wants. That's, I think it's so beautiful. You hear pastors talk, what is your vision for the church? It's not your church. I mean, say for example, say you're a CEO of a company. You're the CEO of a company. Rather than sign the back of the check, you sign the front of the check. And then all of a sudden you see on the news, you know, the news reporter interviewing a manager at one of your stores, one of your restaurants. You're a CEO of multiple restaurants, multi-regional restaurants. You know, and it's just going gangbusters. And then all of a sudden you see, oh, that's my uh, that's my manager. He manages that store. He manages that restaurant. And you're watching him on TV. And the reporter asks, hey, manager, what's your vision for the restaurant? And as CEO, you're like, who is this guy? He's my employee. He does what I want. He's, he's doing my vision. You know? Man, you know, it doesn't matter, male, female. You know, she's doing my vision. He's doing my vision. You're the reporter. Hey, you know, manager... Mr. Big Shot, Mrs. Big Shot, what's your vision for the store? What's your vision vision for the restaurant? And then all of a sudden, you know, the manager starts to speak. Oh, yeah, our long-term goals are this, this, this. And you're like, as a CEO, you're you're watching the news. It's like, wait a second. That, that's not what I told her. That's not what I told him. That's not. They're going off in La La Land because that's not my vision for the restaurant. They're They're on their own program. So you know what? You make a phone call. Hey, you're fired. You're fired. You're you're out, you're out to lunch. That's why sometimes you know, uh, pastors. You know, oh yeah, the, my vision for the church. It's not your church. You're not Mister Big Shot. You don't call the shots. No, Jesus Christ is the pastor, the head pastor. He is the head of the church. 
you, your heart, if you're a pastor, your heart needs to be closely aligned to him. Closely, closely aligned. Even more so in these last days. Closely, closely aligned to him because it's his will. And I think it's so beautiful with these passages that we see. And when you look at the, I don't like saying the big picture. I hate when people say that. The big picture. But I'm going to say it. When you look at the big picture. <laughs> Exodus, Numbers, you know, Leviticus. And you see it all. Look at the blueprints, how Moses was prepared. Even Aaron, how he was prepared post-golden calf. The beauty of restoration, how he repented and restoration, and now he's a high priest. He himself has become a type of Christ. High priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's what I love so much about when we read the Bible and you see in the Old Testament, a type of Christ, a type of Christ. Joseph, a type of Christ. Moses, a type of Christ. Joshua, a type of Christ. Yeshua, you know, Joshua, Yeshua, a type of Christ. Aaron, a type of Christ. He said, what is it? That's heresy, heresy. What do you mean a type of Christ? Well, yes, uh, illustratively, a type of Christ. But then what about Jesus Christ inside of you? What about Christ inside of you? When he says, abide in me and I in you, he's in you. If you abide in him, he's in you. What about your life being reflective of Jesus Christ? For the Christian I'm not talking about the world. For the Christian. Christ in you. What can be said of your own life as a type of Christ? For the husband? For the wife? For the kids? You see? We really have to get our minds geared towards thinking eternally. Instead of worldly and carnally. Because this world is fading. And it's fading fast. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Nevertheless, we have what's written here. And you see how sin is addressed. Uncleanness is addressed. And here in verse 2, command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge. We talked, we studied about discharges, male and female. Female, a lot of like, you know, menstrual cycle, the, the bleeding. And we got, you know, kind of down and dirty when we talked about certain subject matter for men, semen. You know, we talked about these things. We studied these things. And it's very interesting because I've given messages before, sermons before, where we study the word and we give the message. And then all of a sudden, you know, afterwards, you know, we pray and then people come to me afterwards. Oh, I don't like how you say this. Can you tone it down with this subject matter? Number one, we're just studying the Bible. We're studying the Bible. And, you know, sometimes there's passages of a scripture which the Lord gets down and dirty. And I love that. Because he meets us right where we're at. Nothing new under the sun. Look at all elements of culture, you know, dark, whatever, you know, light, whatever. In any situation, you know, the Lord has been there. The Lord is there. That's what I think is so beautiful. You know, if I were to tell you where I was when I started to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a major way, in a major, it was like 25 years ago, in a very major way, it was like in the doldrums of society, in a wicked, wicked state. 
And I felt so dirty. And he was there. And I say that because sometimes, you know, I talk with people in the world. Fish. The lost. The unsaved. People who don't know Christ. Sometimes people who have ran away from Christ. And so, you know what's so sad? Because of false doctrine, you know, sometimes they won't run away from Christ and they just figure, oh, I'm not of the elect anyways. I'm predestined to hell anyways, so I'm just going to go out with a bang. And it breaks my heart. That's what false doctrine does. People who fall away from Christ, it's like, wait a second, you know, oh, I'm predestined to hell, so there's no hope for me. There is hope. Come back to Christ. Look at how many times in the Old Testament did the Lord say, come back to me, come back to me, return to me, return to me. How we would take these people, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, uh, Hosea, all these people, he would say, hey, I want you to tell my people, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me, return to me, return to me, return to me. Because he loves them. All of a sudden we get to the New Testament and it's over. Don't tell these people to return to me. This guy who's backslidden, don't tell him to return to me. Well, that's a different God. You look at the Old Testament, the New Testament. That's a different God you're talking about. If you're into that, you know, uh, 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 false interpretation of uh, uh, predestination, which aligns to the Calvinistic teaching, which I don't agree with. And when I say Calvinistic, it's reformed. I don't agree with it doctrinally. And I call it false. People who have committed suicide, they go into counseling. They're in Calvinistic churches, Reformed churches. And under Reformed teaching, when you look at their uh, uh, their rules for uh, counseling, you can't tell a person that they're saved. You can't tell them. You can't give them that hope because in accordance to that doctrine, you don't know if they're of the elect or if they're predestined to heaven or if they're predestined to hell. So you can't tell that person. That's garbage. What hope is there? So the guy leaves his therapy session and says, okay, there's no hope for me. I'm going to jump off the bridge. I'm predestined to hell anyways. Or the guy gets out of the, the, the meeting, says, okay, I'm predestined to hell anyways. So you know what? I'm going to go out with a bang. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Male, female. Falling away. Because of false doctrine. And then they end up hating God. Oh, I hate God because, you know, my pastor told me this. I hate God because my pastor told me, you know, he couldn't tell me, give me hope in Christ. So I'm predestined anyway. What kind of loving God is that? You know, if that's you, you might be listening and you're like, man, you know what? I was, I was raised in the church and I didn't know that it was reformed. But now you're finding out, man, that was a reformed church. I grew up in a Calvinistic church, and I hate God. And if that's you and you have that mindset, you were presented with a different Christ, a different God, because he is long-suffering. He loves you. And if that's you in a fallen state, know that he loves you. And I tell you, in submission to him, and I tell you, in accordance with the command that he gave me, return to me, saith the Lord. He loves you.
He wants oneness with you. He desires intimacy with you. He wants to sup with you. Let that happen, my friend. And you return to Him. And you repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to Him and you walk with Him for all your days until your last breath. You take your last breath here on earth, you take your first breath in eternity. Paradise. Just like the thief on the cross. Remember me when you enter your kingdom, Lord. He says, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine hearing those words? Today, I mean, you're like dying, you're on a cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's like music to my ears. But for the Christian, the words can be tomorrow you'll be with me in paradise. When is tomorrow? I don't know. The Lord knows. He knows the numbers of your days. You commit your life to Him because He desires this oneness. And so look what happens here. Still in verse 2, you know, everyone who has a discharge, we talked about this, you know, females and males, female discharge, male discharge. You know, sexually, we talked about semen in the book of Leviticus, and these are hardcore topics. Men have regard for your seed. And whoever becomes defiled by a corpse, very interesting how the Lord, and we're going to talk about this more. We study this more in the book of Numbers, future chapters, and we're going to see it more in future books. The Lord doesn't like you messing around with dead bodies. He doesn't like his people messing around with the dead bodies. Necromancy, forbidden, an abomination before the Lord. And we're going to see more verses of, uh, on this in the future. But what does that say of the grave soakers of today? Very, very well-known church that emanates from Northern California. A very, very well-known church, which is growing, which has a, on a global scale. They're on TBN. They have programs on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. Lauded as a great, great Bible expositor. Oh, by the way, let's go grave soaking, guys. Stupid. Grave soaking where, you know, they, they take the youth group. They take, you know, a men's group. They take a women's group. They take married couples. And they say, okay, let, let, we're going to go on this outing. We're going to go to a cemetery. We're going to take your kids, the youth group, we're going to take your kids, we're going to go to a cemetery, and we're going to lay on the graves of dead people. In the church, this is what's happening in the church today. What kind of garbage is that? A pastor gets this idea, hey, let's go grave soaking. Where are the co-pastors? To say, what in the world? What's happening here? What are you doing? Where are the elders? Where are the, what about the congregation? Where are the Bereans? Where are the Chloe's? Where? Large, large churches. Is there not anybody to say, hey, wait a second. Uh, hello. Let's, uh, grave soaking. What, what, is there no, no red flags here, guys? Why do they do that? To soak in the Holy Spirit. Oh, this was a great expositor of the Bible and the Holy Spirit was mighty in him. He's dead. He died a hundred years ago, but the Holy Spirit is on his bones and the Holy Spirit is on this grave site. 
you know, and then so you lay on the gravesite and you soak in the Holy Spirit. That's not how you soak in the Holy Spirit. That's anathema to Christ. Remember, don't don't bring uh, uh, Jesus Christ down. We studied that in Romans. What in the world is happening? In the fold of Christ. I say in the fold of Christ, but it is also written, prophetically speaking, the falling away, defection away from truth. And we see it happening. We see it happening. Right before our eyes, right underneath our nose. So in verse 3 now, you shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. Now you read this and you're like, wow, this is like, you know, like put them outside the camp. But the same concept is Old Testament and New Testament, Old Covenant and New Covenant. Put them outside the camp. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. Remember 1 Corinthians? You hear me? We're going to study it in a couple weeks, several weeks. We're going to get to the Corinthian letters. But there was a guy who in the church, in 1 Corinthians, there was a guy in the church who was having sexual relations with his dad's wife. And coming to church. And what was happening in the church? Everybody was saying, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you know, let's let's have our rejoicing. Let's have our worship service. Let's study the Bible. But yet there was nobody to correct this guy and say, hey, cut it out. Paul caught wind of it. And then all of a sudden he writes a letter, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. It's not a good thing. You're saying you're praise the Lord's hallelujah. But look what's happening. There's sin in the camp. He says, take this guy and kick him out of the church. Get him out of the church. And you read that and you're like, whoa, that's hardcore. You know, I had problems reading that when I was like a, a young believer. I had a lot of problems reading that. Because wait a second, you know, get him out of the church. You know, commit a person to, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa, I don't get it. This is Paul saying it. Like, whoa, Paul, I don't, what's happening? Commit a Christian to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I don't get it. But I remember I watched this documentary one time and it was a guy who was giving his testimony. And what happened to him, he was a former homosexual. And he was, a, you know, a young boy and he got uh, seduced into homosexual lifestyle by some pervert, from some sick pervert who was seducing into homosexual behaviors. And then all of a sudden, you know, his parents, this guy's parents, the, he was in the church too. The pastors, the youth, hey, repent. This isn't good. You're going down the wrong path. Repent. And the guy, all of a sudden, he ran away from home. And he, you know, ran away, moved away, started his life, a young teenager. And he was like, you know, 18, 19. And he got involved in deeper, deeper sexual relations, homosexual relations. And he got AIDS. And what happened, all of a sudden, he was dying of AIDS, HIV positive, he was dying. And in this documentary, he was giving his testimony. And he was rejoicing, he was praising the Lord. And he was saying, you know, all this time, everybody was telling to me to repent, and I refused to repent because of my pride. Because of my pride, he said. 
And then he was dying on his deathbed. You could see it in his body, sores all over. He was weak. He wasn't strong anymore. He's on his deathbed. And he's saying, but praise be to the Lord for the destruction of my flesh. And then I started to think about the word. I was like, whoa, I get it now. I get it now. Because yes, he was dying of AIDS, this guy. Yes, he, you know, he is paying the penalty for his sin. He's reaping what he had sown. But because of this destruction of the flesh, how it was used, all things working together for good. You see what beautiful promises we have? Because remember this, our journey in this world, in this earth, on this, we're in our earth suits right now, but it's a vapor. It is so temporal. We think of like, oh, you know, this guy's 80 years old. Wow, he's lived a long time. This guy's 100 years old. Wow, you know, he's lived a long time. She's she's 110. Wow, she's lived a long time. What's your secret? What's your secret? That's so stupid. Because it's just a vapor. Who cares if you live 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, 80 years, 100 years? Who cares? It's just a vapor. In the wide span of eternity, it's like nothing, a little blip on the map. We have to start thinking eternally. It will help you in your walk with Christ when you think eternally, when you consider eternal ramifications for your own soul and then also those around you, especially if you're a pastor. Especially if you're in a family situation. You know, consider your ways. And so all of a sudden you see this, this concept of how a little leaven leavens the bunch. Which rings true in the new covenant as well. In verse 4, and the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. Now, I've talked to non-believers. Mockers in the last days, which are increasing. They're getting more intense, more vile against the Lord. Which is further proof of the last days and the rise of the spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit. Oh, God is so mean. You see how mean he is? Kicking people outside of the camp. You see how mean he is? Number one, a little leaven leavens the bunch. So you're making this separation. But then number two, now it's like it activates the priesthood. Because remember, the whole goal is for Israel to be right with the Lord. And now this activates the priesthood. Yes, we're, you take these, uh, 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 um, a leper, leprosy, and you get them outside of the camp. You put them outside the camp because they're unclean before the Lord. And you can't have clean with unclean. So you take this person and you take him outside the camp. You take this lady, take her outside the camp. Why? Because of leprosy, uncleanness. But it also activates the priesthood. It's not just say, hey, you're kicked out. Get out of here. It activates the priesthood. And the priest, the high priest, the priest, you know, they get together. They do their duties in the tabernacle. But then at the same time, hey, you know what? Let's pray for these people. Let's pray for the lepers out there. And you know what? I, you know, I want you to go give them, make sure they have their meals. Make sure that they have water. It's a hot day. Make sure they have their shade. And we're going to pray for them when you come back. You know, we're going to be praying for them. You go take care of them. You come back. We're going to keep praying for them. We're going to intercede for them. Let the Lord heal them. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the priests, one day the priest goes out to check on whoever, male, female, it doesn't matter. And the guy says, you know, hey, it's the, the, the leprosy is gone. And there's a process to bring them back in the camp. The lady says, oh, my leprosy is gone. Now this priest has to say, okay, let me check. Do you know how dead that priest has to be? You heard me mention this when we studied Leviticus. You know how dead that priest has to be? A male priest, female leper, and she says, I'm clean. And he has to make sure. That means he has to look at her flesh, her body. Who knows where that is? On her body. You know, it could be on the arm, but it could be somewhere else. You know how dead that priest has to be? That's why you, when, you, when we get to uh, the Samuels, and you're, uh, you're, we're going to see about Eli and his wicked sons. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. You're going to see the works, the steps of the feet of the wicked sons and Eli. And then when they're dead, when the Lord kills them, you're going to know exactly why. Exactly why. Remember, the Lord wants to have oneness with his people, but sin is a big problem. Remember that. You could look at this and be like, oh, you know, the, the mockers of the last days, they say that God is mean. And I get that. I get that perspective. But wait a second. You're looking at it from a completely different perspective. You talked to atheists before. Like, oh, you see how mean God is? Yeah. Do you know why he's doing that? Look at the uncleanness. And it's not just, hey, you're unclean. Get out of here. It's not like that. It activates the priesthood. You know, a lady says, okay, I'm, I'm clean now. You know, the priest turns around and says, okay, you know, expose this area. You know, let's go into these little private area so nobody can see. It's just you and me. I'm going to turn around. I'm not looking. And you, you know, position your clothing in a certain manner, exposing the, the area. And tell me when you're ready. And she says, okay, I'm ready. He turns around and looks, observes, looks at the leprosy. It could be on the arm, but it could be somewhere else. And in his mind, the objective for her, for her soul, not her body, her soul, is to be right with the Lord. So she can have oneness with the Lord. To be clean, for her to be clean. His mind, his mind, he has to think and meditate on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's what his mind needs to be on. Not on carnal things. Because if this mind is on carnal things, you know how dangerous that is? Now you know why the Lord kills Eli and his wicked sons. Because they were doing disgusting things. So you can look at this from a perspective, and you might be an atheist listening. I have no, I, I understand that all walks of life listen and hear these words. You might be an atheist listening, like what in the world is this guy talking about? God is so mean, you know. He kicked it. He kicks these people out of the out of, out of the camp. He's so mean. But don't forget, there's a priesthood, the Levites, which are tasked. 
with ensuring that people are right with the Lord, even those who are outside the camp, because being outside the camp is temporal. Just like when Paul says, take this brother and kick him out of the church. It's temporal. Because you get to 2 Corinthians, hey, take this guy and bring him back in the church. You see? Temporal. And that's what's so beautiful about our walk with the Lord. Because remember, He disciplines those whom He loves. He chastises those whom He loves. What child is without chastisement? I mean, nowadays, nobody likes to spank their kids anymore. And I'm not talking about beating them up and making them bloody to a bloody pulp. No, but you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Now you have parents, they don't like to spank their kids. Now you see the fruit of it. Look at the kids. Look at all the millennials today. They're crazy. That's a weird generation. If you're a millennial listening, I don't mean, I don't want to trigger you. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say it like that. But it's a weird generation. It's like they've never been corrected, never been spanked, never been, you know, experienced any any kind of rejection, any never experienced it. That's, that's why they call them the snowflake generation. You know, you talk to a kid and they say, "Oh yeah, you know, they, they talk to you. It's like, wait a second, I'm not, your, I'm not your father. You talk to your father that way. That's not me. This is what's right. This is what is not right. And they start to read, oh, you know, I think God would, I think God would, wait a second, you, what do you mean you think God? What about the God of the Bible? What about the God of the Bible? You don't have to think God. You can know God. You see, the great falling away, it's happening. We're seeing the buildup of it, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and the remnant will be the enemy. The remnant will be the bad guy. The remnant will be the bad girl. It's prophesied. It will come to pass. Every jot, every tittle will come to pass. You see the love of the Lord, even in this ostracizing of an unclean, you see the love of the Lord and the mercy of the Lord by the activation of the priesthood. In verse 4, he says, And put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now you see, you read this, and you're like, okay, cool, Israel's clean now. They're a clean people. You take these forms of leaven, whatever it might be. Maybe it's uh, leprosy. You take them and they're outside the camp. Wow, Israel's clean. We're good to go. But no, read on because the Lord goes deeper. In verse 5, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any sin, that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty. Notice, not in verse 6, he says, it's not if, if a man or a woman, it's when a man or a woman. Remember, the Lord knows all these things. The Lord knows. And that person is guilty. Verse 7, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed, and now, you know, we hearken back to our study in Leviticus 5 because it's like, oh, I remember the, the trespass offering. You see, the activation of certain duties. Situation A ha happens, okay, it's dealt with this. 
Situation B happens, okay, it's dealt with this. From a priestly perspective, you read, okay, verse 7 or verse 6, okay, this is what happens. Unfaithfulness against the Lord, that person is guilty. From a priestly perspective, okay, it activates Leviticus 5. We got to get that person right before the Lord. You see, and that's what's so beautiful about the full counsel of the Word of God. Now, I'm speaking, I'm not exalting the law. Because the fulfillment of the law is the new covenant, Jesus Christ. But when you study the Bible, you understand the nature and character of our Lord, Old Testament and New. And he has very specific instructions how to deal with certain things. And sometimes you're going to face certain scenarios, certain situations where you have no idea what to do. You know what you do? You pray. You pray and you seek the face of the Lord. But sometimes it's a no-brainer too. Because the Bible is explicitly clear. And the Lord teaches. He prepares, he trains, he equips. He's appointed pastors, he's appointed teachers. Evangelists. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? Not my call. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. That's how he works. That's how he works. Even, you know, even with our... Remember, Christ died while we were sinners. We didn't have to get cleaned up, you know? Filthy. And then, you know, take a, a, a deep cleanse shower. Multiple showers. Put on a tuxedo. You know, nice haircut. Everything nice, fa fancy. Or if you're female, you know, clean up, shower up, nice dress, nice hair. And then go to church. Okay, I'm ready to be cleansed. I'm presentable. No, he takes you in your state of filth. And he cleans you. As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. And how beautiful it is. And I say that because you might be in a state where you're just a mess. Maybe you're in a state of filth. And in my state of filth, 25 years ago, the Lord found me and had mercy on me. And he showed me his grace and his love. And he'll do the same for you, despite your state of filth. But you must believe. You must repent. You must be washed and cleansed by Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. Only Him. One way. Look what happens here. In verse 7, Then he, has, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. So, you know, you remember in Leviticus 5, you see there's a ram, that's the, the offering, and then one-fifth, so 20%. 20%. So there's an additional cost, and I love that there's an additional cost. In the law. Because as New Covenant believers, what happens? Sin comes at a cost. Look at a guy who's... You know, an adulterous husband. 
Yeah, he's doing his thing. But it comes as a cost. It comes at a cost, a heavy cost. Because look at the wife. Look at the kids. What their emotional wrecks. Why? Because of the works of his hands, the steps of his feet. The choice that he made. It comes at a cost. A heavy cost. Our pastor in California told us of a time when, you know, he was doing marriage counseling. And in the court, in the marriage counseling, you know, it, there was marital infidelity. The husband was cheating on the wife and they were doing marriage counseling. But then the wife started to explain, you know, I have AIDS. I'm HIV positive. I have AIDS. She was a virgin before they got married. And when they got married, she was, he, 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 he the husband was the only sexual partner that she had. And she got AIDS. Why? Because of him. His infidelity. You see? And now she's dead. She got a husband and kids. That kids raised with no mom. Why? Because of a stupid husband. Who was unfaithful. You know? Walking with the Lord. Corrected by the Lord. But look at the heavy price. Look at the heavy price of his sin. You see? It comes at a cost. Just like in the Old Testament, 20%. Now, I'm not equating a life to 20%, you know? I'm not putting monetary value on a life. But the concept of, you know, this additive, this additional cost, heavy cost. 20%. I mean, from a financial perspective, you look at 20%, it's like, whoa, that's 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 high. You know, is there another, is there, you know, where can I go for, you know, 10%, 3%, 2%. You know, people refinance their homes all the time. You know, cheapskates, they oh, I gotta get there. Save an additional 50 bucks, save an additional $10, save an additional, they refi, 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 refi. The whole time in debt, extending their debt. Refi, refi, refi. Just pay it out, don't get in debt, but live within your means. Oh, but I want this, you know, $800,000 house. Well, you don't have an $800,000 budget. Oh, but this $800,000 house, it's beautiful, the property. You, you can't afford that. But look, you can afford this, you know, $150,000 house. You can afford that. Live within your means. People do all kinds of, you know, it's stupid. Financially speaking, fiscally speaking, there's a lot of stupidity out there. But, you know, you live within your means, you're good to go. The same thing in our walk with the Lord. You know, be realistic in your walk. Be realistic with your walk. You know why? The Lord is realistic with us. He knows. He walked this earth. His feet touched the earth. He grew up. He was raised in the, you know, he knew the world. But he knew the world to save the world. Yes, he was in the world, but he's not of the world. The same with you, the same with me. And all who believe. Yes, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so look what happens here. <clears throat> this additive, this additional 20% comes at a cost. Sin always comes at a cost. Sometimes, you know, you talk to guys and say, like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I did this, but, you know, uh, I'll repent, you know. God is gracious. God is, you know, I'm of the elect. I'm of the elect, so I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. You see how false doctrine 
can lead to crazy town? False doctrine is very, I mean, it's false doctrine. It's dangerous. I mean, Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord says, get away from it. False teaching is false doctrine. Get away from it because it's dangerous. And Satan uses false teachings to capitalize. He uses it to take people away from Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go to the strip. Oh, yeah, this crack. Go ahead. Find this crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. And God is love. He'll forgive you. But the whole time your heart is getting harder and harder and harder. Yeah, once saved, always saved. You did the altar call when you were 10 years old. Once saved, always saved. No big deal. Go ahead. Some good pot, some good meth. You see? Don't forget, you read Luke 8. It is possible to be a believer for a short period of time. Don't be a short-term believer. That's what I always tell people. It's very dangerous to be a short-term believer. Why? Because you think eternally. Think eternally. Don't think about this vapor. Think eternally. Look forward to the promised land. In Christ, we have a promised land. It's called paradise. Look at this first generation that we're going to see. These are beautiful passages here, what is, what is being addressed. But you're going to start to see in, in, in a couple chapters, it's going to start to turn dark. Why? By the choices they make. And that generation dies in the wilderness. But the next generation, you know what happens to them? They make it through. And they make it to the promised land. The next generation. What about the generation inside of you? you say, what are you talking about? Well, there's your old nature. And there's your new nature. In Christ. Your old nature is the flesh. And you die. You can't make it to the promised land in your first generation. In your first nature. You cannot make it to the promised land. You can have the knowledge, but you know what? You can't make it in the old nature. I mean, when I say you can't have the knowledge, he's like, what do you mean? I, I thought it's good to know the Bible. Yes, it's good to know the Bible. But knowing the Bible and heeding the Bible are worlds apart. You know how many wicked people there are who know the Bible? You know how many wicked past, so-called pastors there are who know the Bible, but they're wicked? Same with elders, deacons, bishops. You know how many? There's a lot. They know the Bible. And they boastfully speak. Yeah, I know the Bible. I know the Bible. That's nice. Do you live the Bible? Anytime somebody, you know, boastfully, pridefully, oh, I know the Bible, I know the Bible, I know the Bible. That's nice. That's even worse. Your, your very deeds sow judgment unto you. Why? Because you know and don't do. Oh, but I know the Bible, I know the Bible, I know the Bible. And how about living it? You see? Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Yes, He's sovereign. Since you say He's sovereign, how come you don't live like it? I don't know. Proof is in the pudding. I just look at the fruit. Just like the Lord says, look at the fruit. 
That's what I'm doing. I'm looking at the fruit. What's up with the crack? What's up with the pornography? How come your kids are crazy? You see, how come you're beating on your What's up with the black eye on your wife? How come you're beating on her? Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, live like it. It's a poor witness. And people see. The world sees. I've talked to non-believers before. Oh, I want nothing to do with Jesus. How come? Oh, there's so many hypocrites in the church. My pastor, my, when I was going to church, the pastor's a hypocrite. The elder's a hypocrite. All these things. And you know what? I don't, I don't blame them. In one degree, one sense, I agree with them. Because there is hypocrisy. But if that's you, if you're listening and you're like, I don't like Christianity. There's so many hypocrites. Yeah, it's true. I don't, I don't disagree. But why blame Jesus Christ? Why deny Jesus Christ based on the behavior, the acts of another person? Remember Peter, when Peter was talking with Jesus Christ? They were having this private little intimate conversation. And Peter was like, well, Lord, what about that guy over there? And the Lord was like, who cares about that guy? I'm paraphrasing. But the Lord said, you know, who cares? Who cares? I'm talking to you, Peter. You see, every soul has to make her choice, his choice. Every soul. You make your choice. Oh, but there's so many hypocrites in the church. You're right. A sign of the last days. A sign of the great falling away. Where you see hypocrisy, you also see like, uh, you see like little falls, but then you see like a great hypocrisy is like build up towards a big fall. You see hypocrisy, you see carnality and hypocrisy. It's like when you start to see carnality, it's like they're walking towards a cliff. Then you start to see hypocrisy. It's like you're walking, you're getting even closer to the cliff. Whenever you see carnality, a person is walking towards a cliff. And then you start to see hypocrisy. They're getting even closer to the cliff. And then sometimes you even see the fall. Who's going to stop them? Who's going to stop them? Where are the warriors? Where are the barriers? Where are the warriors who will be on their knees before the Lord making intercession? Very, very dark times. And I don't say dark times to like scare you and instill fear. I mean, like if you've ever been, I mean, okay. If you've ever been like on a intelligence briefing on a ship on the way to a hostile zone, <laughs> you're, you know, you're getting these intelligence reports. Okay. You know, you know, this is the scenario. This is what it looks like. This field, this theater that we're entering. This is what it looks like. These are, you know, the bad guys. These are how they train. This is what they do. This is they do this. This is what they've done. This is what they do. This is what they're doing. This is their objective. And you're, you're getting closer to the shore. You're on, you're on a ship, you know, you're however distance out. <clears throat> you're on a ship. And you're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Finally, the LCACs come on the ship. You get on board the LCACs and you're like going for a ride to the beach. You're going to hit the beach and you're going to storm the beach. You're going to attack that beach. 
But if you hit the rewind button to those intelligence briefing, and they're giving you intel reports, okay, this is what, this is what, you know, these positions, they look like this, 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 you know, satellite images says look at this, you know, special forces are reporting this, recon guys, recon teams are reporting this. You're not scared in your boots, you know? You're not like shivering like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I'm so scared. No, the mindset is, you know, you got a job to do. You have a job to do and you're trained, you're equipped. And you have backup, you have support. You have teams, you have platoons. Everybody's equipped, everybody has a job, everybody works in tandem. You're getting these briefings and it's like, oh, you know, I'm scared, I'm scared. No, it's just like, okay, we got to handle business. So you're on this big ship and all of a sudden you get closer to land, you see land, this big old ship, and all of a sudden the LCACs come on board, you know, LCUs come on board, you, you know, troop carriers, you get on board, and all of a sudden you, hit, you go storm the beach. The LCACs are on water and now they're on land. Boom, doors open, showtime. You see? That's what it's like as Christians. Our walk with the Lord. People are walking with Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Rejoice. You start to see carnality. Hmm, what's going on here? You start to see hypocrisy. Whoa, this is dangerous territory. You're heading towards a cliff. And to prevent the fall, you have to be a warrior. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. I mean, you don't have to be aware. I mean, I want you to be. I want us to be. But you have a choice. You see? Look at Paul. Look at Peter. Look at Stephen. Look at Chloe. I'm in love with Chloe. You see how beautiful she is? Where were the pastors? We're going to touch on that when we get to the, our studies in Corinthians. Where were the pastors? Where were the so-called shepherds? Where were the elders? Why was there a guy having sex with his dad's wife? Did the pastors not have issues with it? They have pastors that are like Eli's. They want to be the best friend of the congregation. It's not bad. I mean... Friendship is, uh, with, uh, within a congregation, it's, it's a byproduct of being a friend of God. And loving Him first with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, loving Him first. And then as a byproduct, these friendships are established. These families are established. Relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ. But you have pastors, they want to be their, the best friends of the, of the sheep. So what happens? It's like, oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I'm not going to tell you, hey, don't have sex with your dad's wife. Don't do this crack. Oh, but it's the finest crack in all, from Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, can I have some? I'll join you. You see? Don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. And you see people, oh yeah, I'm going to go do this drug ministry and help people come to Christ. Wouldn't God want these people to be Christians? Yes, he does. But maybe that job isn't for you because of your weakness 
It's not to say, oh, you know, are you calling me weak? Well, in some areas, yes. In some areas, I'm weak. But we are one body with many parts. That's what's so beautiful about knowing the will of the Lord. Because he'll call you and he'll say, okay, I want to use you here in this capacity and you go do this. But instead, people just think, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this drug ministry. I'm going to go work with these crackheads. You know, wouldn't God want them to be Christians? Yes, he does. But maybe that job isn't for you. Is it the Lord that's calling you there? Or is it just something you want to feel good about yourself? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to go do it. So you, I'm going to go minister to these crackheads. You know, five months later, you're a crackhead. You see? And yes, the Lord loves those crackheads. But it's to say, come out of that lifestyle. Come out of her, my people. Yes, the Lord loves, you know, prostitutes. But is that ministry for you? People go into sex ministries. They say, oh, I'm going to go work with these prostitutes. And, you know, uh, I'm going to win them to Christ. Is it the Lord that's doing it, that's calling you? Or do you just want to feel good about yourself? Then all of a sudden, they take the bait. They become prostitutes themselves. Or they, you know, buy the product. They get sucked into the lifestyle. Satan's a fisherman too. Don't forget. We like to equate evangelism with Christianity. But don't forget, there's all kinds of evangelists out there. Evangelizing, proselytizing, all kinds of different religions. Satan's a fisherman. That's why you have to be a fisherman and a warrior. I like to think of like troops, you know, in a hot zone. They come down in a helicopter in a, you know, starvation situation. They come down and, you know, they start handing out the, you know, water and food. They start handing out these things. The poor people come up, you know, certain communities. And it's like, wow, you know, but the whole time, you know, that you have these troops, they're handing out food, they're handing out water, but they're, they're armed. They have a pistol at their side. They have a rifle and they're, you know, strapped to their back. They have a bayonet, gas mask in, the, in their pouch. All kinds of different, you know, they're equipped. But yet in a capacity, they're handing out food. Hey, here's your food. Here's your water, you know. Can we get a medical team? Okay, you know, here, tend to their medical needs. You know, check them, you know, do whatever. Then all of a sudden, off in the distance, they start to see this big truck coming up. Truck number one, truck number two, truck number three, and they're armed. Okay, step aside, folks. It's time to handle some business. That's the Christian. There's a side of benevolence, which is beautiful. Helping, help ministries, beautiful. But when the enemy comes, it's like, okay, step aside. It's time to handle business. You see Paul do it. Peter, Stephen, Philip. Listen to our studies through the book of Acts. It's very important for Christians to understand that Satan's a fisherman too. And then at the same time, we hearken back to these studies in the Old Testament. And what do we see? We see similar concepts of how the Lord deals with sin, how the Lord deals with carnality inside the camp. Inside the camp. This is post-Egypt. Post-Egypt in the wilderness. 
And so look what happens here in verse 8. But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest in addition to the ram of the atonement with which atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Remember, the priest had no work to do. Like They didn't have jobs to do. They didn't have to clock in, go to an employer, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, apply for a job and all these things. No, because their work was holy. Their work was to make people right before the Lord. Their work was in the tabernacle, making people right with the Lord. That's what their work was. And there were provisions. People would give their sacrifice. There were provisions where, you know, a portion of the sacrifice would be for their food, for their meal. They could have food sustenance. They didn't have to go grocery shopping. They didn't have to go hunting. Why? Because there was sustenance for the priest. Yes, it was an offering given to the Lord, but then the Lord takes the portion of the offering and gives it to the priest, those in service unto him. And I love Paul's model because he says, you know what? I have every right to take money from you. The church, biblically speaking, I have every right to take money because, you know, a uh, 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 um, a workman is worth his wages. As an ox, you know, you, you shall not muzzle the ox. But he says, I deny it. I don't want it. He was a tent maker. And as a tent maker, he was able to take care of himself, take care of those around him. I don't want your money. Because freely I have received, freely I give. What was it? Jesus Christ. This is his word. This is for you. I don't want your money. That's what Paul said to the church, to the churches, to Christians. I don't want your money. You keep your money. Honor the Lord and, you know, and this is how you honor the Lord. Other means, you know. Take your money. This church, you know, they gave this offering and it's for you. But for me, you know, I don't want I don't want to take your money. I think a lot of pastors, a lot of church organizations need to take that into account. Because now you see wayward pastors. Actually, wolves. Wolves, they get their jets, you know. Oh, this is so I can, you know, for the work of the ministry. Pretty nice jet. Wow. Their parsonage, you know, in Pacific Palisades. Million dollar homes, gated community. Nice tax-free, you know? Very nice tax advantages for the clergy. Disgusting. Whoa. W-O-E. Whoa. To the fallen shepherd. To the wayward shepherd. And a sheep that have no, no shepherd. How sad it is. But these things must come to pass. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. The great falling away of the last days. It's going to get worse. And so look what happens here. In verse 10. And every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives the priest shall be his. Now it's easy to understand why in, in, in future verses or future chapters and future books. It's easy to understand why priests become corrupt. Because, I mean, if there's uh, uh, um, uh, um, um, this restitution, this restitution, and in verse 8, there's no relatives, 
it, it goes to the priest. And priests can start to get in their mind, wow, you know, I can get a couple ox out of this deal. 20% on top of that? Wow. Filthy lucre, the love of money. Filthy lucre. Dirty money. Cannot serve God and mammon. Cannot. You have a choice to make. And it's so beautiful when you start to see these things come to pass. You see these things happen and you understand, okay, Lord, I get it now. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about this. Lord, you care for their souls. Old Testament and New Testament. You care for souls. Remember the disciples? He says, you guys are servants, 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 servants. But then later on, I no, no, no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Because a friend doesn't wonder what the master is doing. He knows already. She knows already. And so in verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray. Now it's the wife. So like in verse 6, man or woman. Verse 6, man or woman. Verse 3, male and female. But now it's female. In verse 12, If the man's wife goes astray. Now, there's little mention of what happens to the guy. Little mention. But, you know, there's in, in Leviticus, don't forget that there is uh, 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 rules in the law for wickedness and infidelity and adultery, both male and female. But this specifically targets the women if a wife goes astray. And I have to say something for my sisters, too, in Christ. You know, a lot of times I've spoken with women before, and they're like, I don't like this because the men get away scot-free. The men are free to do this. There's so many uh, pro-man rules in the law. And I don't, I get it. I understand it. But free to do what? Look at Solomon. Yes, he had wisdom. But look at Solomon. Look at his, the number of wives. Look at the number of concubines. Concubine being a sexual slave. You could look at from from one perspective, like, wow, look at, you know, he could, you know, do, you know, do that. You know, you don't talk about. Think of like all the sex, you know. Wife number one, two, three, four, five. Why is concubine number one, two, three, thousands, hundreds. You can look at it from that perspective. But that's the wrong perspective. That's a carnal perspective. And if you're a female and you're like, wow, you know, the guys get away with this, the guys get away with that. Get away with what? And I'm not equating sex to crack, but I mean, if we just, what, what if a guy in the law gets, or just a guy outside of the law, what if a guy gets away with crack? And a female to say, man, you know, that's so unfair. Look, he, 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 he's getting away with crack. You see, I mean, you get where I'm going? It's, I mean, you look at it from one perspective, like, wow, you know, the guy's getting away with this, the guy's getting away with that. But what are they really getting away with? I mean, you look at Solomon, all his wives, all his concubines. Yeah, he, you know, sexual relations, he could, you know, handle business like crazy. But it comes at a heavy cost for him, his family, and for Israel. Why? Because, you know, all these wives, he would say, okay, we're going to build this temple to the Lord. Oh, but I want to appease this wife of mine. Let's build a temple to her God. 
Oh, I'm going to appease this concubine. Let's build a temple to her God. And then what do you have? Idolatry in Israel. Other gods. Remember that. For my sisters in Christ, I want you to remember that. You say, wait a second, the men get away with murder. The men get to do this. The men get to do that. They can have their multiple wives. They can have their easy divorce. And I completely understand. And I get that perspective. I get the argument. But don't remember, don't forget that when Jesus Christ was posed this questions by the Pharisees, you know, it was permitted for, you know, they, they tried to trap Jesus. Why did uh, Moses allow divorce? And Jesus starts to explain to them. It was added in there because of men's hard hearts. You know what that is? Uncircumcised hearts, uncircumcision. And that's not good. Uncircumcised hearts. But then Jesus Christ points to before that, pre-law. Pre-law. How many, how many wives did Joseph have? One, pre-law. How many wives did Noah have? One. How many wives did Adam have? One, you see, pre-law. How the Lord says it wasn't that way in the beginning. It was added in because of hard hearts, men's hard hearts. That's not good. A hard heart before the Lord is definitely not good. And I kind of feel for my sisters in Christ because, you know, you read this and it's like, wait a second, you know, how come the guys get away with this? Guys get away. It doesn't come. It's not without a cost. Look at Solomon and Israel. Look at the idolatry that came into the camp because of his fall, because of his error. Look to the beginning. Where, you know, a husband and a wife, the two become one. One flesh, the two become one. You know, a husband has to say, you read the uh, Aramaic and Greek translations from the Gospels, when Jesus references it, it literally translates as, you know, you got it, you know, a husband has to look at the mom, look at the dad and say, bye-bye. See ya. A lot of parents get themselves into trouble. They ruin families. A lot of parents, a lot of grandparents, they ruin families because they're all overlords. And a lot of men, I put that air quotes, men, I call them little boys, they haven't cut the umbilical cord. They like mommy. They like daddy. They like their diapers. You know, 50-year-old guy, he likes his diapers. He likes his little baby bottle and his little binky. Little 45-year-old guy. Stupid, it's foolishness. And parents need to understand, you know, if you're lording over your kids like that, you need to repent because it is evil and is not right before the Lord. Oh, but my kids have to honor me. They have to honor me. It is written. Yes, honor your parents. It is written. You're right. But I like to equate it politically. There are presidents, U.S. presidents, that I don't agree with politically. I won't name names. I'm tempted to. 
Just so you know, sometimes I have to drink a hot liquid, tea or coffee. If you're listening for the first time, you haven't been listening very long, I have major throat problems. So, like, it hurts. And, you know, so I have to, like, if you hear these long pauses, you know, it's like, man, what's happening? You know, is he still there? You tap on your thing, my phone dead, you know, is whatever, dead. No, I'm still here. I just have to take a drink of this hot drink. You know, it's tea or coffee. Sometimes water, but usually tea or coffee. So that's what happens right now. So I like to think of presidents, you know, politically. You know, I have political disagreements with some presidents. You know, some vehement disagreement. I do not align with this perspective on uh, outlook. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like I lean more towards a 1776 model. But if I was called to the office of the president, I would go. I would be presentable. I would dress nicely, suit and tie. You know, comb my hair, shave, brush my teeth, be presentable. Hello, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, Mr. President. No, sir. You know, be very respectful. And I would honor him because of his position of authority, his role. Yes, I could have vehement disagreement with him. Like, not alignment whatsoever, but I would still respect him in his office in that capacity. But I'm still not alignment with him. But I would respect the office. I would respect the you know his role, his position, his authority. I would respect it all. Yes, Mr. President. No, Mr. President. Yes, sir. You know, the whole full nine. The same thing applies to parents. Yes, you can expect to receive honor from your kids. But the the in the capacity of respecting your, you know your. That role as parent to respect the parent. But don't expect, you know, your kids to be servants, to, you know, be best friends, to be whatever. Don't expect that. And don't push it. Don't lord over your kids because a lot of families get destroyed. You know, moms who like to be the mommies. A lot of moms, I can understand a mom with a, you know, a little eight-year-old. You know, you're needed. You have a role. You're very needed for in the life of an eight-year-old. But that eight-year-old is going to be 15. You're going to turn 18. I say, you know, age 17, cut the umbilical cord. That's kind of early for some. Maybe 18, cut the umbilical cord. If you're liberal, you know, 40, nah, you know, that's not good. It's harmful to the kid, harmful to the child. And I say umbilical cord metaphysically. But you see these 40-year-old men that are little boys, little babies with their binkies. Why? Because they run to mommy. And you, you read the Bible and Jesus Christ says, you have to say goodbye to mommy and daddy. Leave and cleave. Leave mommy and daddy and cleave to your wife. That's what the Lord desires. And for parents with kids, I like to tell parents, it's kind of hurtful, but I like to tell parents, you know, you're kind of a te- you're in a very temporal role. Uh, almost like a glorified babysitter, but, you know, understand, you have to give your, your, your child is for the Lord. For Him. So that they can serve Him. Because God loves God. 
offspring that honor him. Read Malachi. He loves godly offspring. But then at the same time to understand that, you know, at, you know, 15, 16, you know, it's like you're almost like saying goodbye. 17, 18, kid goes off to college. And I say you have a limited role. You know, you say goodbye to them. And the kid says, oh, you know, oh, I proposed to this girl. Now you're really going to say goodbye. You know, and I don't mean like goodbye, period, like it's over. But I mean goodbye, like, you know, you have to help them and you could pray for them and pray for your son in his new home and, you know, as a husband. Pray for them. But then you have these overlording parents. And what does it do for that home? It causes chaos. It causes ruin. It causes destruction. Grandparents even. And I'm not saying, you know, you have to like, you know, everything's separate. You know, we have holidays. We have birthdays. But understand that it's a husband who has to say goodbye to mommy and daddy and cleave to his wife. It's very important. Very, very important in the body of Christ. Because I've seen families. Everybody's a basket case. Wife who's a basket case. Why? Because, you know, you have a husband that's a, you know, a little boy. You know, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old. And he's a little boy. He likes his little binky. He likes his bottle. And it's like, wait a second, you know, are you cleaved to me or are you not cleaved to me? What's up? You see? And then you talk to their kids. And the kids are a mess. Oh, you know, grandpa's this, grandpa's that, grandma's this, grandma's that. It's like, I know it's good to love your grandparents. But, you know, who's calling the shots in your home? Your mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, who's calling the shots in your home? You see? A mess. And then you get great-grandparents. Oh, brother, and then it gets worse and worse. It's just a mess. No, leave and cleave. Piece of cake. Leave and cleave. And so look what happens here, you know, in, in verse 12. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully towards him, translate says to transgress against her husband. Now, the world, I must, you know, I'm not speaking about the world. Because the world has its share of floozies. The world has a very fair share of floozies, you know. But then so does the church. The church has a fair share of floozies as well. You know, you look at the world, you look at the church, and in a lot of ways, you see no difference. No difference whatsoever when the world is influencing the church more than the church is influencing the world. It's prophetic. It will happen, and it's going to get worse. When salt, when the church loses its flavor, salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. Look at our culture today, trampled underfoot by men. Just as Jesus Christ said, But you see carnality in the church. A husband who, a, a guy who hasn't died yet, a wife who hasn't died yet, a guy who hasn't died yet, a girl who hasn't died yet, and you see it in attire, you see it in a behavior. I mean, have you ever walked into a church? It's like, you know, you go to church for the first time, you walk in, you're like, what in the world? Like, am, am I in a club? You know, you see the women dressed a certain way, like, whoa, where, is this a nightclub or is this a church? You look at your watch. What time is it? Is it like midnight in the city? 
Or is it in morning on a Sunday? You know, where am I? Like, whoa, what are you wearing? What is happening here? And you know what's so sad? The pastors say nothing. Pastors don't teach the Bible about modest attire. And because women have become second-class citizens in the church, you don't have the older women going to these younger women and you know teaching them about modesty, godliness, righteousness. So you have a church of floozies. Full of floozy. It's like a floozy competition. Who can be more floozy? That's the world. That's the world. Don't forget Satan's a fisherman too. You know, and then you see the men, how they how they talk, how they I've been in circles of men, men's ministries, where the guys speak, and it's like, man, this is like locker room talk. Laughing about it. Pastors laughing about it. Oh, yeah, you know, when I preach on Sunday, I get a, you know, a front row seat. I get to see it all. I get to see this, that, this. It's like, man, you're a sicko. What in the world is going If that's coming out of your mouth, I wonder what's in your brain, what's in your mind. Is not what's in your mind, what, is not what you meditate on, is it not true, noble, just, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy? Do you not bring every thought into the cap- captivity to the obedience of Christ? Pastors and elders, oh yeah, I get to do this, I get to do that, and laughing about it, drinking their coffee, ah oh, ha 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 sick perverts. Not all of them, you know, but surprisingly, a lot. It just blows me away so much. You know, oh, I'm offended. How dare you say that? Well, you know, what are you talking about? I call it like I see it. By the way, cover yourself. See, so you <clears throat> you have here in verse thirteen. So you have this unfaithful unfa- uh, wife who goes astray, behaves unfaithfully towards her husband. In verse thirteen, and a man lies with her carnally. So a guy has sex with a married woman, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed that she has defiled herself, self-inflicted. And there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. So. No mention of the man that, you know, he had sex with the married woman. And, and, you know, it's it's all these are things that, you know, you read that you say, oh, the man gets off scot-free. Not necessarily. Leviticus 18 covers it. Wickedness. We studied that. Leviticus 18. It's all wickedness. You see why? Just, the you know, the, these are things that the Lord is bringing up from an instructional aspect. But these things will happen. Preparation for what's going to happen. Now, you know, when you hear me reference Exodus 33, when the Lord says, you know what? You guys are stiff-necked people. I'm not going to go with you. If I go with you, I'm going to kill you. You guys will be dead because of sin. I'm going to kill you. Now you understand why. Because of sin, because of wickedness in the camp. Remember, he's reactionary. And so Moses intercedes as a type of Christ. And then as Moses intercedes, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go with you. And here's the law again. Here's the Ten Commandments again, except now there's sacrifice. There's blood. Blood. You see, it's the law, but with blood. Remember, the law was given three times. Three times. 
A lot of times people forget that or they willingly forget it or woefully forget. The first time the law was given, the, the Ten Commandments, vocally. And then the people said, Moses, we don't want to hear it. We can't hear it. You speak to the Lord and you tell us, we'll listen to you, Moses. Tell him to stop. Vocally, verbally. And then the second time the law was given, they were destroyed at the golden calf. Now the third time they're given. And this time with blood, sacrifice. You see? And so look what happens here in verse 4. Verse 14, if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, the husband, and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, self-inflicted. Or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled himself, herself. Very interesting. So, you know, verse 14 is kind of powerful because it, you can see it. You can understand the relationship between God and Israel. God's faithfulness, Israel's faithfulness, but then in future chapters, Israel's waywardness. In future books, he calls Israel a harlot, a whore. That's how it translates. A harlot. Because you've gone after other gods, especially the Baals. It's really Baal is how it translates. Baal. But I say Baal because we're in Western cultures. You know, it's Baal, but it's Baal. How it translates is at Lord and also husband. And so you have in the camp of Israel, you know, they start to take in these other gods, Ashtoreth, Molech, Baal, Baal, and they start to worship these other gods. And I love how it translates to husband. Do you know why? Because it's like, wow, you know, a guy on the side, you know, and I don't want to speak carnally in saying it like that. But, you know, you see in verse 14, you understand why it's like, wait a second, you know, Israel and, and God, what a beautiful oneness that they have. But then what happens when Israel leaves and you understand why it's like, wow, you've played the harlot. You've gone after these other gods. You say, oh, look, Solomon, he got away with sex. He had sex like crazy, multiple wives, multiple concubines. I mean, concubine was a straight up slave for sex specifically. A concubine. That was the purpose. A slave in service into whatever. What was the service? It's not cleaning your house. It's not this. You know, washing your car. It's sex. That's the job. Solomon. Wow, he gets to do this. He gets to do that. He get Look what it, it comes at a cost. Don't think carnally. Carnally minded people think, oh yeah, he gets to do this. He gets to do that. He's getting away with murder. Look at the beginning. Look at pre-law. I mean, you look at pre-law, you see, you know, a husband cleave to his wife. Joseph. Noah. Adam. One wife. But then you go even further, look even further, and you know what you see? Adam and the Lord. Oneness with him. We're going to talk about this more when we get on the topic of marriage in the Corinthian letters. The topic of marriage. You're going to understand why Paul says, you know, he says, this isn't a rule, but I'm just going to say this as a recommendation. In service unto the Lord, he says, don't get married. 
Now, I, me personally, I, 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 I get kind of weird sometimes. I don't like teaching about marriage, and I know that sounds weird. But there are specific reasons why. Because there's our marriage unto Christ. That's the ultimate. That's the best. And, you know, you know, one time I shared this with, you know, it, people asked me, hey, you know, uh, my sentiments about marriage. And then they looked at my wife like, oh, you know, what, what did you do? Why does he hate? It's nothing like that. I adore my wife. My wife. I adore her. I love her immensely. Without her, I wouldn't have eyes to see the way I do now. I'm thankful for her in my life. And because of her, because of her sacrifice, because of her commitment, I'm able to see these things and to look heavenly. It's not that I deny that aspect. It's that I exalt another, which is marriage to Jesus Christ. And we're going to study this hardcore in 1 Corinthians. And for married couples, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't, and for like people who are about to get married, you know, you're engaged, you know, <laughs> we're going to study this. It's so beautiful too, because we have to start thinking eternally minded, you know, a lot. It's surprising. It's kind of shocking to me, but a lot of Christians think of their, you know, like, okay, it's our presence in the world and that's it. But no, it's just a vapor. This world is just a vapor. And it's going to get hard. There's going to be hardship. Tribulation will come. And so look what happens here. Uh, so this spirit of jealousy has come on, uh, on the husband. And even though she hasn't defiled herself, so it's suspected. You know, is she sleeping around or is she, has she slept around or is she, I don't know. And verse 15 says, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest. Very interesting because this, consider how dead this priest has to be. Remember Eli and his wicked sons? They were compromised. They were compromised because when I say they were wicked sons, the sons had, you know, good old uh, uh, Phineas and uh, 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 I forgot his name. But two sons, it'll come to me. Two sons, wicked. They did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. And then at the same time, they started a lot, a lot of sex. You know, remember, the whole point was for people to be right with the Lord. And instead of that happening, wickedness happened. And Eli, he wanted to be the best friends of his kids. He didn't want to correct his kids. You see parents like that? Oh, I, I just want to be my son's friend. I just want to be my son, my daughter's friend. No, they need a mom. They need a dad. For what? To show them the way, to teach them the way. What way? Jesus Christ. Walking with him. Enduring with him. They need that. And, you know, just like Job, how he interceded for his children. Remember, Job, it could be that they might be in sin. They might have brought the Lord dishonor. And so what would he do? He would intercede for his kids. His kids had no idea, but that's what he would do. And that's what's so beautiful, ministry of grandparents. You know, old people, you have grandparents, grandbabies, you know, your kids. 
you don't have to see them. I mean, I, I want you to see them, you know, I, you know, visitation, visits and all. Visitation sounds like prison. But, you know, you visit with them, you know, holidays, whatever. And, you know, birthdays, whatever. Then they go home. The next day, you know what you do? You get on your face before the Lord. And you intercede for your kids, for your grandkids, for your great-grandkids. You intercede before the Lord. You know what's so cool? You get old, you might fall asleep too. <laughs> so beautiful. You know? And it's not like, oh, you fell asleep. How dare you? No, it's beautiful. You fall asleep, you wake up, and you keep praying. You keep praying, interceding. Oh, Lord, I don't know what my granddaughter's into. I don't know what my grandson's into, Lord, but, you know, protect him. He got a new job. She got a new job, whatever. You know, protect her in her workplace. Single girl, you know, protect her. She moved to the big city. Protect her, Lord. A mighty, mighty grandfather, mighty, mighty grandmother, you know, can barely walk. But wow, are they mighty warriors. Wow. You see? And then the parent could come, you know, walk in the door. Oh, dad, you fell. Dad, you fell. No, I'm just praying, baby girl. You see? Then the mom can be, or the, the daughter slash mom, you know, can be like, wow, my grandfather prays like crazy. My grandmother prays like crazy. And then she can do it. Teaching righteousness to the next generation. Teaching intercession to the next generation. And on it goes to the family line, you know. Because I say family line, but put that in air quotes. Because you know what the family line is? Heirs to Abraham. A promise of the Lord. The covenant that God made to Abraham. And he honors his covenant. By faith in Jesus Christ. Family tree. You read the Bible. What a beautiful family tree we have. Very interesting. So in verse 15, then the man shall bring his wife to the priest. Now, you, you hear me mention Eli and his wicked sons. And it's true. Eli and his wicked sons, there was wickedness. They were dirty. The dirty can't make the dirty clean. I'll say that again. Dirty cannot make the dirty clean. It's only the clean that can make the dirty clean. No hypocrisy. And by the power of the Holy Spirit can be dirty. No hypocrisy. People say, oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Yeah, you know, don't forget there's three words for judgment. There's more, but I mean the three biggies. Crino, diacrino, and anacrino. Only one is forbidden. Crino, you cannot, you cannot tell a person, hey, you're going to burn in hell. You did this, oh, you're going to burn in hell. You were never saved. You can't tell that to a person. You're going to burn in hell. You're predestined to hell. You can't say that to a person, even though people do it. The Bible says you can't do that. Now you can tell a person the path that you're on, it leads to hell. Get off that path. Get on the narrow path. But you can't say, thus saith the Lord, you will burn in hell. You cannot. And that's what is, you know, judge not lest you be judged. You cannot judge like that. But you can anacrino and diacrino. And you know what the Lord says? Before you do that, you have to take the plank out of your own eye. Because you're able to see clearly. You cannot be a hypocrite. You can see clearly. You cannot be a crackhead and correct a crackhead. You cannot be a sex addict and correct a sex addict. You have to be clean and pure before the Lord. Oh, the dirty cannot make clean the dirty. Only the clean can make the dirty clean. 
I'm just the messenger. This is the equation that's in the Bible. The way, the way people do it now, they say 2 plus 2 equals 10. That's the wrong equation. Dirty plus dirty does not equal clean. Clean plus dirty equals clean. No hypocrisy. You see? It's fuzzy math, crazy math. You read the Bible, and he puts things into order. You start to understand his way, which is better than your way, which is better than my way. And he is the way, Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he shall bring the offering required for, uh, for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil on it and put no frankincense on it because it is a grain offering of jealousy an offering for remembering, for bringing iniquity to remembrance. Now, me personally, I have a love-hate relationship with, you know, iniquity as remembered. I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it. Because what happens, you know, you think back on past sin and not to reflect back and be like, you know, like uh, 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 depressed and be like, oh, you know, but to reflect back and think of it as like a thorn in your side, a thorn in your side. You know what's so beautiful about past sin? You know, sometimes the most beautiful, beautiful men, the most beautiful, beautiful women, sometimes... They've had the most disgusting pasts. And praise be to the Lord because it's like, wow, Lord, how mighty your hands are. You have cleansed this person. The work that you have done. But then to understand too that, that such a person in their heart of hearts, because of their past sin, because of their uh, shame, never again, Lord. Never again. Yeah, I walked that path, but never again. And it's so beautiful. It can still be like a thorn in your side. You see how beautiful the Lord is? And you know, something else to keep in mind here. Remember the camp of the Levites. It wasn't just adults. The camp of the Levites included the little one-year-old, the one-month-olds. The, the, the next generation. They had their little kids were included in the census. And from a very, very young age, these little kids can see Wow, look at dad. Look at what he's doing. Look at Papa go. You know, as little inquisitive little five-year-old, Mama, what's Papa doing? Oh, you know, these, these, this couple, they're going through some issues. Pray for them. Mama, what's daddy doing over here? Oh, he's working with them. He's helping them. He's getting them right with the Lord. And then, you know, the kids get a little older. The dad comes. Hey, son. You know, we, we got to pray. Let's pray for this family. You know, there's this marital issues going on in this camp, in this, in this tent. And, you know, it's not that we can go and blab things out. No, we're going to intercede for them. We're going to pray for them. And you see my hands. You see this like little uh, 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 blood that's on my hands. I'm going to wash my hands, but you see this blood. This is the atoning blood for their sin. You know, your hands are going to be like this too one day. And yes, let's pray for this family. Let's pray for their home. You know, let's pray for them. Because, you know, what's going to happen is that, you know, this kid is going to grow up and he's going to, you know, work in those shoes, fill those sandals. He's going to do that same work. 
because he's growing up in the priesthood, the next generation of righteousness in accordance to the law. But as new covenant believers, to understand that this next generation of righteousness, to train them up in the ways that they should go. You see? And it's so beautiful. Never forget that in the camp of Levites included this younger generation. In verse 16, and the priest, now the pre word priest here is Kohen. Kohen, the Kohenim. The Kohenim is like a, a remnant within a remnant. Within a remnant. The Kohenim is like the high priest. It's a, a lineage that, you know, you have the young Kohenim and they're like uh, raised up to serve as high priest, the Kohenim. You know, the Kohen. And so uh, the, this is like an Aaron type of role. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. Now, think about what's happening here. You have an unfaithful wife or suspected unfaithful. And the husband lets her go with the priest. Hey, priest, here's my wife. Take her. You know how dead this priest has to be? You have an unfaithful wife or suspected infidelity. And for the priest to take the wife and, you know, not as an opportunist. To take the wife and be like, you know what? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's address this. See how dead they have to be? And I say Kohanim, Kohen is priest, because remember, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. How beautiful this is. You know what you see now? You see predator pastors. People go through marriage counseling. And you have these predator pastors, and they prey upon these women. Yeah, a husband and wife, they go in seeking marriage counseling. I need help with my marriage. My wife is crazy. The wife says, oh, my husband's crazy. You need help. We need help. Help us, pastor. Help us, oh, man of God. But it's like Eli or the wicked sons. Hophni and Phineas. You see? They say, oh, yeah, I'm going to help you. I'll help you, you know. And they do these carnal things. Sexually speaking. You see? And it gets worse. And then the guy starts to teach at a pulpit. Disgusting. Wickedness. In the camp. It's happening today. Compromised. And you know what? The dirty cannot make the dirty clean. So what do you have? In the fold of Christ... Unclean sheep. You see? And the cleansing comes from the word of God. Rightfully handled. Rightfully divided. The holy word of God. To teach and to equip and to train. And so now look what happens in verse 17. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, like a pottery. The pre in an earthen vessel. It's very interesting because Paul refers to the Christian as earthen vessels in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Very interesting. And take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover the woman's head. So the woman who's unclean, she knows she needs a covering, and here he uncovers her. Uncovers her head. 
and put the offering for remembrance in her hands, uh, which, which is in the grain offering of jealousy. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse. And the priest shall put her under oath and say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority to be free from this bitter water that brings a curse. Now you're going to see two different sides here. You know, you're going to see a side of curse and a side of blessing. So which is it? And you're going to see this not just here. You, we've already seen it. But you're going to see this dichotomy of this royal priesthood. And I specifically say royal priesthood for a reason. But there's this interesting dichotomy which one is lamb-like and the other is lion-like. One is merciful and gracious and the other is in judging, in judgment. Remember, Jesus Christ came the first time as a lamb sacrificial lamb he's coming the second time as the lion of the tribe of judah to judge and that's what we're going to see in the law this dichotomy of curse and bless cursing and blessing in verse 20 but if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority now a lot of you know i've talked with uh females before this i don't like to have a husband's authority i don't want to be under a guy's authority okay don't get married don't get married. The best marriage that you can ever have is your marriage unto Jesus Christ. That's the best marriage. And so, you know, he says, uh, and if you have defiled yourself, self-inflicted, and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall put the woman under the oath of the curse, and he shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell. Whoa, these are hardcore words. This word for thigh is the generative, generative parts of a female. Generative parts. Even translates as loins. That meant, you know, you're outside the Bible. You think, okay, only men have loins. You read the Bible, well, females have loins too. That's how it translates. I will make your thigh, the genitive parts, the loins of a female rot. And your belly swell translates as a womb hollow and swollen. Now, if there's any barren listening, and I've spoken with the barren before, they're like, oh, does this mean I'm under a curse? I'm under a curse. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, no. No, not at all. Not at all. Because you're in Christ. You abide in Christ and Christ in you. You're not under a curse. But understand that we're in these earthen vessels. Understand that we're in these bodies of corruption. Presently. But it's the corrupt that will put on incorrupt. It's the mortal that will put on immortality. One day. In Christ. Oh death, where is your sting? So be of good cheer. Because I've talked with people before, women, it's like, oh, this, kind of scared. Does that mean I'm under this? Does that mean this? Does this apply to me? No. You in Christ? No. No, not at all. In verse 22, and may this water that caused the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. Then the woman shall say, amen. So be it. 
So be it. Then the priest shall write these curses in a book or in a scroll, is how it translates, and he shall scrape them off. Macha is what it is in the Hebrew. Macha is to blot them out into the bitter water. And he shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse, and the water that brings the curse shall enter her to become bitter. Very interesting. So this is the water that she's drinking, which contains the word of the high priest. Very interesting. Remember the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What happens with his word when we consume his word? It too, it can be a blessing and a curse. It depends on your heart. I've had people tell me, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. (laughs) If you're carnal, that's not going to happen. It'll happen if you go to, like, you know, a, a, a false church. It'll happen if you go to an apostate church. You'll feel good about yourself. You'll feel really good about yourself. But if you go to a church where they teach the Word of God, you're not going to feel good about yourself if you're carnal. Because the Holy Spirit wants to deal with your carnality. But if you go to church, you hear the word, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you feel dirty, you you feel filthy, as I have felt filthy before in church. And 25 years ago, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, I used to feel so convicted, and I was so mad at the pastor. He would say these things and teach and say these things, and then I would just listen. And then finally, I brought a Bible, and he said, turn here, and I'd like, where is this, you know? My wife would help me. Hey, your Bible is here. Turn here. So, okay, I had my Bible. And I would follow along word for word. And everything he said aligned with what the Bible said. And then I realized something. Yeah, I hated this pastor. I didn't like what he said. But my problem wasn't with him at all. And he would even say, you know, I'm just the messenger. And so he would say, I'm just the messenger. And I read him like, man... He ain't lying. He really is just the messenger. Because everything everything he read, I would follow along. And then I realized my problem is with God. The whole time I hated this guy. And I looked down at my Bible. Do I hate God? That's a hardcore question to ask of yourself. Do I hate God? If you're carnal, if you're a non-believer, do I hate God? That's a hardcore question to ask and it's a hardcore question to answer. You see, God is love. He loves you. He loves you. He sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, that the world through him might be saved. You have a choice to make. I've made my choice. You have to make your choice. And so look what happens here. In verse 25, Then the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, shall wave the offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering as its memorial portion, burn it on the altar, and afterward make the woman drink the water. 
when he has made her drink the water, then it shall be, if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, that the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter, and her belly will swell, her thigh will rot, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and conceive children and may conceive children. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the beauty of a clear conscience. I mean, put yourself in this. I mean, imagine a, a, a woman who has been accused of infidelity. Now, if she's unfaithful and she's with the high priest and all this stuff is happening, she's going to be sweating bullets. She's going to be drenched in sweat like, oh my goodness, this is going to happen. Oh no. But then what if she has a clean conscience? Yes, she's there, the high priest, everything's happening. And it's just a clear conscience before the Lord. And so many times we forget how beautiful a clear conscience is. But, you know, don't forget how safe it is to have a clear conscience before the Lord. You know what that means? That means you're obedient unto him. I remember several years ago when I was a kid. You know, uh, uh, a Los Angeles Laker basketball, professional basketball player in the NBA, uh, 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 Magic Johnson, he was diagnosed with AIDS, HIV positive. All the sex that was happening, you know, all the players having sex, going out to parties. They go to one town, play a game, and, you know, and after the game, all these parties, sex, drugs, all kinds of, you know, wickedness. And Magic Johnson got AIDS. And, you know, all these, they started to go through the NBA, all the sports, the different leagues, NFL, baseball, everything. People started to get their drug tests or not their drug tests, but their uh, HIV, their, their AIDS test. You know, oh, did I pop too? Do I have it too? Because I was at that party. I did this. Do I have it too? There was one guy on the team, the Los Angeles Lakers. His name is AC Green. Everybody's getting tested except for him. He didn't get tested. You know why? Hey, AC, what's up? How come you're not getting tested? He says, I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin, I'm a Christian, and I'm saving myself for marriage. I think everything's going into chaos, you know, chaotic moments in the in the locker room. Everybody's talking, everybody's scared, don't, don't touch me, don't touch me, you know. You know, you might get a cut on the, you're on the court, you're playing basketball, you might get a cut. Everybody runs like, oh, don't touch that blood. Everybody's kind of nervous. Oh, do I have it too? I partied with them too. Except AC Green. Virgin, clear conscience. Don't neglect the beauty of a clear conscience. That's what's so beautiful about obedience to the Lord. He protects you. People are sweating bullets everywhere they go because they have a dirty conscience, a guilty conscience. But in Christ, obedience unto Him, you don't have that. He saves you. He helps you. And so look what happens here in verse 30. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man, Oh, wait, in verse uh, 29, this is the law of jealousy when a wife, while under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord and the priest shall execute all this law upon her. Then the man shall be free from iniquity. Yes, it is entirely possible for a woman to bring sin into her home. You know, a lot of times, oh, men are pigs, men are pigs. Don't forget, women can be pigs too. Me personally, this is me, I kind of think even worse than men. I kind of think even worse than men. That's just me personally. 
I could say why, but I'll save that for another day. But I think women are worse than men. The man here in verse 31, free from the iniquity. It's the woman who has brought sin into the home. And that's what you see inside the church, male and female. Sexual sin, sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcoholism, the whole nine yards. That's why I speak on it. The occult. All these things that enter a home, all these things that enter a mind, all these things that the younger generation are exposed to. Kids, they see their parents partying. They see their parents, you know, doing all kinds of craziness. Oh, stay in your room, kids. Stay in your room, kids. This is for the adults. What are the adults up to? Getting drunk? Snorting lines? You see? Dirty talk? Old women who are divorced from wicked husbands. Husbands who have, you know, their problems with pornography. And the wife gets old. Gets wrinkly. And then the husband says, okay, I'm done with you. On to wife number two. Old, wrinkly ex-wife. Younger, non-wrinkly new wife. Stupid. Foolishness. Foolishness. Whoa. In the house of God. Now, you know, you read this, it's like, wow, this is a heavy chapter. This is hardcore. And indeed it is about infidelity. But you know what? What's very interesting here? You read verse 17. You have the priest, the Kohen, which is the high priest, shall take the holy water in an earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. Wait a second. This kind of sounds familiar. Dust on the floor of the tabernacle? It kind of sounds familiar. In another situation of adultery, in closing, turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 verse 1, Then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came, up, came again into the temple. Very interesting, his locale. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Okay, you start to see some similarities to what we studied in Numbers 5. Adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. You know? I don't like how this is, I, I, I like what is happening, this historical account, but why didn't they even say that in the very act? Instead of saying this woman was caught in adultery, they have to add for emphasis, in the very act, you know, kind of, you know, get a little uh, shock the crowd, a little, <gasps> little gasp in the audience. What are they going, what's their, what's their objective here? What's their, what's their goal? But what I want, I mean, I don't want to know, but what's very interesting, they say in the very act. And, you know, I'm going to say some things you have to protect your mind. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But if she was caught in the very act, who saw her? Who saw her? 
Because in the law, it is written not to look upon nakedness. Who was it that saw her? In the law. Don't look upon nakedness. In their very accusation, in their very first statement to Jesus Christ, you know what they are? Guilty. Guilty. This woman was caught in adultery. They could have just said it right there, period. In the very act. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who was it that saw her naked? You see? Guilty. And then they start to invoke the law of Moses. Remember, they have no idea what Moses was writing about at all. They try to invoke the law, which they themselves are guilty. But Jesus Christ says, remember, he wrote about me. He wrote about me, he tells them. But they don't understand why, because they have no eyes, they have no ears. But yet they invoke Moses, woefully invoke Moses, woefully invoke the word of the Lord. Christians today, woefully invoke the Bible. Why? Because of hypocrisy. They tried to yield a sword that they have no business yielding. Instead, they should yield a little knife because they're little babies. It's dangerous. A little butter knife. A child grows, okay, here's your sharper knife. A child grows even more, okay, here's your little baby sword. A child grows even more, okay, here's your, your, your new sword, you know. It's all the same, the sword is the word of God. But I'm giving an example of usage of the word of God. Improper usage of the word of God. How the Lord Jesus Christ says, you got to take the plank out of your own eye first. Take this big two by four that's in your face and take it out so you can see clearly. And then you can correct another brother. Then you can correct another sister. You are biblically qualified. Because only the clean can make the dirty clean. Dirty cannot make the dirty clean. doesn't work that way. Two plus two does not equal 50. It's an unholy equation to think otherwise. So you have these hypocrites already in verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? You see, they want judgment, judgment, judgment. And the Lord is about to show mercy, compassion. This they said, testing him. Very interesting because what's revealed? Their motive. Testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. See, they wanted the goods on Jesus. They wanted to trap him. You know what's very interesting? Look at their motivation here. They want to trap him. They want to accuse him. They're testing him. They want some, well, we got to get the goods on Jesus. Instead of saying, wow, there's this adulterous situation here, a guy and a girl adulterous situation. We got to get them right before the Lord. Let's clean them up. Instead of saying that, no, we got to kill her. We got to do this. And then trapping Jesus. Kind of interesting, their mindset. So willing to stone this female, stone this lady. 
when they themselves were hypocrites. It's not good. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as he did as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Look at what we see here. You see, they're in the temple on verse 2. You see the earthen vessel in Jesus Christ, his earthly ministry. He's in the earthen vessel. And now you see living water. Hearken to, you know, John 4. The woman at the well, living water. Those are nice elements to have, especially in light of what we read in Numbers 5. The dirt of the, tep- uh, of the temple, earthen vessel, and living water. Then those who heard it, in verse 9, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, guilty conscience, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Remember, she's caught in the very act of adultery. And instead of being shown judgment, she is shown mercy by Jesus Christ. Shown mercy. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How beautiful this is. Now, I don't care if you're male or female. You might be in an adulterous relationship. You might be a wayward husband, a wayward wife. And you're in adultery. Repent. Repent. Come to Jesus. And just as Jesus Christ says here in verse 11, go and sin no more. Walk with him. Because he loves you. And you know what's so beautiful? It's, hearken to our studies in Romans 7, it's our marriage to Jesus Christ. A faithful husband, capital H. A faithful bride. The two becoming one. Metaphysically speaking, spiritually speaking, intimacy with him, you with him, him with you, and all for the glory of God. You see how beautiful Jesus cleans his own fish. The restorative nature of our Lord, the good shepherd. We're going to end our study here and pick up next week in number six, Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.